0: Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services, helping you win the race to the starting line. Hi, this is Brian Barone from Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services here with another podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the top 10 ways to ruin your offshore experience. Another way to put that is the top 10 things that you can break or screw up on your boat that will either put an end to a race, make you turn around to head back home, or give yourself and the crew a stress level that's way above what everybody's anticipating when you go out on the water. When you're out on the ocean, you have to be self-reliant and you have to be aware of potential problems with equipment and there is a systematic way to think about failures, and that's a, with equipment, with your crew. We're going to run through that a little bit today. So, if you are new to the podcast or new to Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services, I'll just give you a little bit of information about myself. Who is this guy, and, and why does he have any information that we can believe about things that go wrong offshore? So, as I said, I am the owner of Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services. Uh, I've had a 100-ton master's license for 10 years now at this point. I started out in the world as a cruising sailor, I've got about 25,000 miles offshore. Of the 25,000 miles offshore under sail, about 15,000 miles of those are cruising miles. That's more or less New York to New Zealand under sale. Got two thousand five hundred miles of deliveries, but that's New Zealand and Florida. I've done some deliveries here and there. I'm not really a delivery captain, but when the opportunities arise, I'll, I'll take a delivery every now and then. Distance races four thousand five hundred miles and counting. In the next year, I'm going to add on a transpac and a fastnet race. So that's. A little bit shy of 3,000 additional miles offshore racing. Well, offshore racing just gets bigger and bigger every year, and it's it's a nice place to be, getting on boats and, and uh, getting rides on good boats. And winning. Winning is always important. Uh, tall ships. I was also a tall ship sailor. Did that in Key West for a few years. If you add up all the little circles, that's probably around 2,000 miles. I, I worked on those boats for a few years. I was the first mate on... The old Schooner Western Union, if you folks have been down to Key West 10 plus years ago, if you're in your 20s to even mid-30s and you feel like your desk job is just grinding you down, by all means, quit your job, move to Key West for a couple of years and work on boats. It's a blast. It's a lot of fun. The desk will be there waiting for you. So since 2014, I've been working with the Annapolis to Bermuda race as part of their race committee. For the last two races, I was the chair for sponsorship, and I've done safety inspections for races since 2014. And the most important thing about me, in terms of this talk, I have broken a lot of things, and I have been on boats that have broken a lot of things. As you rack up the miles, you start to see the same failures over and over again. Even if it's not on your boat, You know, when you're cruising the South Pacific, between every single port, you get together with the folks that have come in, and there's a little bit of a laundry list of who broke what, and you start to see the same things happening over and over again. So that's really the focus of this talk. You can't think of everything. There's always going to be some oddball thing that can happen, but you can narrow down the failures to some of the more common ones. A lot of people will just try and make their boats strong and leave it at that and think they've done enough. But really, there is a systematic way of looking at this that I haven't heard other people talk about, frankly. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But this is something that I've come up with over the years. And it's basically three ways of looking at failures. And I'll kind of run that through in a second here. So if you get value in this, that's great. And if you have any Failure modes that you have experienced, if you got some oddball things that have happened, or even some common things that have happened, and, and solutions for them, please reach out. We can be found at www.chesapeakeoffshoresailingservices.com. We are on Facebook. We are on the internet. We are pretty much everywhere you want to be, uh, Instagram, etc. But check us out there and reach out. And if you've got anything at all that you feel was interesting or that people should know about, please let us know about it. So without further ado. Here are the top 10 game-changing equipment failures in offshore cruising and racing. And we will go into how to avoid them in a little bit, but first let's lay them all out for you. Number one is halyard failures. We'll see this more in races, reason being that cruisers when the weather gets up are a little bit less likely to run a spinnaker, they are running their spinnakers only in light air. But halyard failures in races offshore are fairly common. Number two is sail destruction of many different flavors. We'll talk about some ways to mitigate that, but that one is pretty straightforward. Number three, electronics failures, navigation and comms. Probably the most common of all of them on the list. I don't think I've heard of a single boat that didn't have some sort of failure of an electronic bit of equipment, at least on a race that includes connectivity issues. Connectivity issues are everywhere because folks don't actually figure out what they're doing until they get out on the water. Practice makes perfect and if you've only looked at your grip files and connections a week before the race or your cruise you are doomed to failure. Uh, number four is rigging failure that's actually a lot less common when I talk about rigging failure I'm talking mostly about standing rigging and running rigging failures. Rigging failure I would classify blowing up blocks as part of that so yeah blowing up blocks is pretty common standing rigging coming down not nearly as common but we can talk about that a little bit uh number five head issues the dreaded head issues that happens a lot uh that's really Easily dealt to. Just have to make your crew aware of all your proper procedures. Number six, charging systems. Charging systems are a big one. A lot of sails and races have been abandoned because people didn't have power. Number seven, fresh water loss. That means tanks and water makers. Number eight, steering failure. The nightmare of every offshore captain is losing steering and trying to use some jerry rigged steering to get where they're going. Boats have been lost because of steering failures. Boom-bang failures, well, that's very common, mostly to do with technique. And the last on our list is rudder and rudder bearing failures. I, again, sort of like steering failures, but different modes of failures, and we'll talk about those specifically and what you can do. Right, so those are our top 10. It's a long list and there's a lot of information associated with all of these different items. So we're probably gonna break this podcast into two and maybe even three episodes. So I think today we'll take the first, let's call it the first four, and we'll talk about halyards, sail destruction, electronics, and rigging. But before we get into that, I want to talk about the framework for how we're going to discuss failures and combating failures on the boat. There's three aspects, and we're going to go and run through these three aspects for every one of these common failures or failure modes. Number one is prevention, and that is you're on the dock. Things you can do on the dock to make your boat far more bulletproof. Number two is avoidance. That's things you can do underway to make sure that the gear doesn't break. And the last one is mitigation. That's after it breaks. You did your best to prevent it. You did your best with training to get your crew to avoid it, and they all screwed up and... The block wasn't as strong as it could have been and now you're stuck with an issue and you got to fix it offshore. Mitigation is very important and we're going to discuss that. Not just how to repair, but uh, a general approach for bringing on spares and equipment in general. So we'll quickly define these three things. Prevention on the dock. That means these failures can be avoided through proper maintenance and use of offshore quality equipment. Even skilled crew and proper technique is no guarantee that poor quality or old gear won't break. So even if you have the best crew in the world, if you put the best crew in the world on a boat with crap equipment, they can baby it, they know ways to go easy on the gear, but things are still going to break. So a boat with poor quality equipment, if it's your boat, it's your fault. If you're getting on a boat with poor quality equipment, well, what are a few flags to to give you a clue that that might be not the kind of boat you want to race on or or sail on? You know, things like, oh, it's always been that way, it's that way for years. Oh, the trick with this particular piece of equipment is you know, the trick with the, the rope clutch to get it to go, stick your finger in there and push it down, or the trick with the traveler. If you have to have a trick to use a piece of equipment because the equipment isn't functioning properly, well, then that boat isn't really done all they could to prevent failures offshore. So those are some of the things for prevention. Avoidance. If you hear things like, we've always done it this way on X boat. Oh, that, that block wasn't a good block, or, you know, oh, I never buy this kind of gear because it's just crap, or, oh, this is good. This, this boat's dangerous, this boat will bite you if you hear that one ever? Those are all tells that the training and the techniques that are supposed to be used in that boat haven't really been drilled into the crew enough, and if you do get everybody trained up appropriately, you're not going to hear things like that. You're not going to hear, oh, it's the fault of the gear. Now, sometimes it is the fault of the gear, but it's a really convenient excuse for when somebody's screwed up to blame the gear. And mitigation, right? Once it's broken, boats carry spares, race boats carry fewer spares, but if you know where the weaknesses are, you can mitigate some of these failures. And that's where cruisers are, are very good. Cruisers will travel around with, you know, two of everything and thousands of pounds of gear that they may never touch, but when something happens, damn it, they got another one. So if you hear things like offshore... Oh man, if only we had this or, oh, you know, we took that wrench off. Oh, you know, we can't, we can't do this without that. And now we're stuffed. That's it, you know, it's game over, game over. You know, there's no game over. There's always room to rig something if you've got a creative mind and a bit of raw materials, but you got to provide yourself with those raw materials and a set of tools that will allow you to, to make some of those, those jury rigged type repairs. So we'll talk about that as well. All right, so those are the three modes that we're gonna talk about. We'll take each individual type of failure and we're gonna run it through each mode how you could have prevented it at the dock how you could have prevented it while you're on the boat and finally oh crap we blew it up and we're on the boat and now how are we going to fix it that jury ring we we're talking about So all right Hallo failures is a kind of an easy one very common. So let's talk about the prevention on the dock of hall failures. Before we get into the prevention, let's talk about why. Why are, why are people losing halyards? Why are these things breaking? When we know why they're breaking, then we can attack the different modes of prevention. So halyard failures, and there's many reasons for different things to fail, but I'll I'll go out on a limb here and say these are the most common. Number one, especially on spinnakers, a short hoist. Basically, you've got your spinnaker is up, it might be heavy weather, and there's a foot or two of line sticking out of the top of the mast because they didn't haul that thing up all the way a short hoist allows the spinnaker to oscillate from side to side that side to side oscillation especially with a internal halyard is just a perfect situation for rubbing up against the side of where the block is and wearing through that halyard so that's a root cause but also no anti-chafe gear you know, you can screw up a, a hoist, and if you've got chafe here in there, maybe you get away with it for a little while. Number three, old worn rope clutches, having the jaws slipping, right? So if you're offshore for a long time, and that spinnaker's been up there for a day or two, maybe there's a small amount of halyard that's creeping out of that rope clutch. Worn shackles that release under load, that's always a possibility. And flogging of snap shackles releases when the pole ring snags. Those are sort of less common things that good gear will take care of. So, okay, when you're on the dock, how can you f- prevent it? How do you prevent these halyard failures? Number one, build all your halyards with Dyneema chafe protection. You need to have chafe protection on Spinnaker and Jib halyard. doesn't cost much. Very simple to do. You can buy the Dyneema uh, tubing yourself, wrap it on there, or just get them built that way. If you go up the mast, you can file the exits smooth. If you have internal halyards for a spinnaker and some of those edges might be a little rougher than they should be. You can try and smooth them out with a file. It's not a perfect solution, but a little bit can go a long way here. Just remember how loaded spinnaker is and even if it's pressing against something that's just got the tiniest bit of an edge to it that can easily wear through your spinnaker if it's allowed to oscillate another thing you do if you have a a long race is consider changing to external spinnaker halyards with an external spinnaker halyard basically it's a block on a crane that will swivel along with the spinnaker so every spinnaker is going to move a little bit side to side if you have an external halyard it's a lot less likely to chafe than with an internal halyard, you know, the one that goes into the mast. If you have any slipping clutches, just replace them. There's a million different reasons why you should not have slipping clutches on your boat and a million reasons why it's a bad idea. Backup halyards, obviously a great way to prevent it. If you only have one spinnaker halyard and you lose it, well then I guess somebody's gotta go up the mast or you're not using spinnaker. Maybe that's okay for a cruise, not so okay for a race. And when you consider how much money people put into doing one of these races, I think it worthwhile to to set up something for a backup halyard. And again, renew shackles, this goes for everything. If you have old gear that isn't reliable, if it isn't shiny and nice looking, if it's kind of oxidized and was in the bottom of a drawer for 20 years, maybe you want to spend a couple extra bucks and get yourself some new shackles. Really just anything past its prime, that, that, that goes for everything. So that is on the dock. So how about underway? So once you've got your gear, you've upgraded everything as best you can, one way you can avoid those short hoists is using bands band of the kite uh biodegradable bands exist now uh they outlawed rubber bands a few years ago so people don't use them Uh, there are also spinnakers with little velcro tabs and and basically that keeps the spinnaker under control while you're hoisting it up and then it goes all the way to the top it doesn't fill when somebody hauls in on the sheet the whole thing kind of unzips itself and you're good to go with a banded kite you're going to ring the bell every time when i say ring the bell obviously bringing the spinnaker all the way to the top of the halyard. Uh, Keep the halyard tails locked on the winch. So let's say your rope clutch is a little slippy. We'll wrap that sucker around the winch a few times and put it in the uh, self tailor just another layer of prevention to keep things from slipping. Some boats, this is less common for spinnaker halyards, but for a main halyard, main halyard will have a lot of tension on it. They might have a second clutch, two inline clutches on the on the rope. I know some of the J120s will have that. Periodic inspection of halyards. Uh, so when you're underway, if you know you're going to be up there for a, fu- a few days, maybe not every day, maybe every other day, send somebody up the mast to have a look at your halyards. And certainly if you got a bit of light weather and you're trying to squeeze out a couple knots and you're basically floating around that might be a good time to send somebody with a mast 25 knots and going through the Gulf stream, maybe wait for tomorrow. But again, keep a good eye on what's going on up there. Don't just set it and forget it. Don't just put the the halyard up and expect that it's all going to be just fine because more often than not, there's going to be some level of chafe and you need to know how bad it is and if that level of chafe is going to be small enough that you'll get to Bermuda or wherever your other destination is, or if you need to take some measures out in the water. And um, for things like shackles, yeah, you can, you can tape snap, snap shackles shut or you can just upgrade to Tylaskish shackles or things like that. And, you know, those are sort of bowman type stuff that the Bauman will know and have their preference for. Mitigation. Okay, so after it breaks, right? Oh, my God, we broke the Spinnaker halyard. How in the world are we going to deal with that? Well, number one, you've got a spare halyard because in your prevention mode, you put on another halyard. Or maybe you already have one. Lucky you. And so your race isn't a stop because you can very quickly swap halyards if you haven't destroyed your spinnaker by dropping it in the water and running over it. If you're in the field and you found that things are chafing too much and you've chafed through your Dyneema chafe cut gear, which you already put on, right? Because we're preventing things. Well, maybe you got another bit of Dyneema. So you, you wore through the first piece, you cut off the old, and you put on a new piece. Or maybe you shorten up the line. If the ch- halyard is chafed enough that you've gotten into the meat of the actual strength of the halyard, just cut it off. Anytime you buy a halyard, you should have enough extra line that you can cut off a foot or two and uh, still have it function just fine. That's just common sense. So yeah, you can you can cut the chafed halyard, put on a new piece of chafe gear, and you know with your needle and thread that you've got down below, put it all back up and off you go. And if you lose one in the mast, right, it breaks. You just, for whatever reason, it was too rough out. Nobody could check it out. Nobody even knew there was a problem. And now your halyard is gone. You can have a bicycle chain, small piece of bicycle chain and a good strong magnet and a messenger line, you know, some fishing line. And you can reroute a line with that. Hopefully, wherever you're going, you'll get there before you need to do that. But maybe you're going for 2000 miles and you've got to reroute a halyard. Uh, transpac, it happens all the time. So have that bicycle chain and that messenger line ready to roll and hope you don't have to do that cuz that's a pain in the butt at the dock and it's just even more of a pain in the butt when you're on the water. So that's halyards. And that I, I spoke mostly about spinnaker halyards because really that's those are the ones that break the most often. More or less everything goes along with the spinnaker halyards, but that is the one you're going to get the most. Uh, okay. So number two on our list of common failures is sail destruction. Uh, And as I said before, this comes in many different flavors. I would say most commonly you are going to see spinnakers blow up during a race. Uh, And again, as with uh, some of the other breakages we discussed, it's going to be far less common on a cruising sailboat because you are not running the spinnaker in the higher winds you're not pushing the boat as hard and so you're less likely to have it up in a situation where things are going to get a little dicey but of course people will lose spinnakers in light air too if you get an old spinnaker or you can get it snagged on the rigging wrapped around that forestay very popular popular fix unwrapping a gnarly knicker off the forestay so yeah we've got spinnaker failures Main sail failures mostly what you're going to see for the mainsail will be broken slides broken battens chafe related to reefing where the reefing points the back of the sail through the clues kind of tied down you can see a, a fair bit of destruction there if things are allowed to vibrate of course the the odd tear you know accidental jibe the older sail and you've got you get a tear uh, that that's fairly common and your jib and you're working genoa you're going to have damage from dragging those sails across the mast for the genoa jib a little bit less prone to damage but if you have a a, a like a 100% jib like some of the more modern boats tend to have they're far less likely to have a 150% genoa like in the older days those sails are built pretty strong built pretty well and if you don't have an old sail they're pretty forgiving in terms of tacking and and even jibing if you're uh running downwind without a spinnaker. So let's go through our three different areas. First is obviously prevention. Well, for sails I think prevention is a pretty easy task and a pretty expensive task too. Stop one and not destroying your sails is have good new sails. Don't go offshore with blown out sails. Don't go offshore with sails that have already gone 50,000 miles. If you're not a racer, if you're more of a cruiser, and you've got Dacron sails, they may look great to you, and they may be completely blown out, they may be bellied out, and are what is commonly referred to as a white triangle. You don't have a sail anymore. you've got a white triangle. The problem with that is that when you've got blown out sails, the depth of the sails is is too deep, Uh, the boats tend to get overpowered quickly, there's a lot more healing, and more of that wind is being turned into healing force than forward momentum so not only is it uncomfortable it's just not fast and an older stretched out dacron sail is probably going to have stitching that's a little bit uv degraded and more prone to chafe damage which is not to say that an older sail can't be usable but if you have an older sail and when i say older i mean you know more than five years old uh let's say Uh, and to some people that's a really young sail but let's just call it an old sail for the purposes of offshore uh, racing. Um, bring it into your sailmaker. maker. Your sailmaker knows very well how to recut an old Dacron sail, reinforce stitching, you know, clean up the, the, the sail in terms of wear spots and things like that. That's a perfect thing. They all do it. Drop them off. That's their bread and butter over the winter months is just tuning up some of these sails. And, and that's a great thing for Dacron sails. For an older laminate sail, if they're old, they're not going to last. Laminate sales are great until they explode. So, you know, I hate to say it, but if you're, if you have a, a serious racing program in mind and feel like very strongly that if you enter a race, you enter that race to win, you need to get out to your sailmaker and talk about what your inventory is. And they'll come out. You can bring all your sales in them. They'll, they'll tell you what's what's garbage and what isn't. You know, good sailmaker is not going to try and sell you something you don't need. You know, their business is repeat business. So prevention really is, is uh very key and for most boats there's a there's a little bit of a there's a little bit of room here for prevention Uh, most boats are set up from the factory or set up after you you know they've been sailing for many years where the sail handling systems have all been worked out very nicely You, you you will tend to run into problems sometimes with an older boat that's been reconfigured by the new owners. Maybe they put on the roller furler themselves. Maybe they converted from one type of reefing system to another. Maybe they added a Harkin bat car system or, you know, a tough luff system. And there's a, whenever there's an aftermarket addition to the boat or, or a quote unquote upgrade, there's always the possibility that upgrade or. Uh, additional bit of equipment that's been added has been done incorrectly especially with the diy i'm a big fan of diy i do all my own work i've made all my own mistakes and making your own mistakes is a great way to learn how to do things the right way but again not everybody can afford to have the pro do the work but you your job as someone who's going to be taking this boat offshore and have people's lives in your hand is to make sure that there isn't anything kind of screwy kind of a little Done just a little bit wrong because those kind of things can compound offshore. Perfect example of this: I put Harkin back cars on my my personal boat. You know, in the last year or two, and when you put on Harkin back cars, they stack a little bit higher, and my reefing point no longer would would reach the reefing hook on the boom. And that's the kind of thing where you know you put on your back cars, you hoist your sail, looks great, you go out for a sail. And maybe you never even use the second reef when you're on the bay. But guess what? When you're offshore, if you haven't put in that second reef, and you all of a sudden figure out that that, those new batten cars, which are just working so beautifully for you, and you're very proud of and spent a whole bunch of money on, well, those new batten cars don't allow you to reef that sail reasonably well anymore, and you've got to tie a piece of rope around it uh, to to pull in your reefing point. Well, you know, those are the kind of things I'm talking about. You know, when you do an upgrade, you have to look at all of the ramifications of what that upgrade is. You know, not just the system that the system you've installed works, but it hasn't had a knock-on effect to some other system that you never really thought about. So, again, this, this goes to sailing your boat, you know, in conditions that are a little more hairy, time on the boat, you know, understanding that what you've upgraded to doesn't always just impact the area that you've you thought it would. When you put on a roller furler, is your roller furling line at the right angle? Let's say you you are going to go offshore and you say, right, we want roller furling. We didn't have a roller furling before, for whatever reason. I mean, most boats do nowadays, but let's say you put on a new roller furler and your furling line doesn't have quite the right lead, right? It should be sort of like a 90 degree angle from the drum, yada, yada, um, and you put it on. It looks great. You rolled it up and down a couple times on the dock and now oh, she'll be right, mate. And then you get offshore and you realize that lead wasn't quite as the manufacturer intended it. It was a little bit shallower than the ninety degree angle. And when it's under a lot of load, oh, surprise, surprise, your new cool roller furler gets overrides like crazy or binds up on the on the drum or has some other kind of wacky problem. So again, prevention for sales, obviously the sailmaker and the sales themselves, but just having a look at those systems that may have been added later and even a professional rigger can do a bad job. You know, spending money to have someone do work for your boat is really no guarantee that it's going to be done as well as you could have done it yourself. Hopefully, if you've picked the right people, they will have that depth of experience where they're going to do a good job and know all the little pitfalls of how to do these things right. But again, you got to look at the systems, make sure something hasn't been upgraded in a way that is not going to work in an offshore environment. You want everything to be robust. And one thing I have to say, and I'll probably say again and again as we go through this prevention, is get a pro out. Get a rigger out to come look at it. And, you know, a rigger will spend an hour or two on your boat and and maybe even less. And check out your standing and running rigging. We'll look at the installations, see anything that's weird. You know, another, another point of prevention is if, especially for roller furlers, You know, the older Harkin roller furlers, you know, sometimes they they would have the screws back out that connected the luff foils. Um, You know, they needed Loctite. They're Loctited in these little screws that go up these aluminum extrusions. It's very robust when it's done right. But if there is enough Loctite on them or they've been there for a million years or the rig's been shaking all to to pieces because somebody did something wrong with a sail, you can lose a foil. So... You know that's something you want to look at. How long ago was that roller furler put on? I would. Uh, I, people will hate to hear this. I advise against any in mass furling. I've seen it jam. I've sailed on. I did deliver on a boat uh, that had the in-mast furling and watched firsthand. as you know we were very careful with it and we watched the thing jam, and you know had to deal with it offshore. And you know it's again, there are certain types of systems that you can add to a boat that add a lot of convenience but are not field repairable i don't want anything on my boat for the most part that is either a not field repairable or b i can't do without you know i can't fix a sat phone but i know that if the sat phone goes down i can live without the sat phone i'm still gonna get to bermuda but if my inmast furler jams up and, I, and we can't get it we can't get the sail away or the sail out without major surgery then that's a problem for me so again you know not to tell you to go out and buy a different kind of boat if that's the boat you have that's the boat you have and you just do your best to learn how to use that appropriately and you know that moves into technique but again these things kind of things are prevention and it's certainly if you're thinking about a boat to buy you know and you, you want to think about what you want to do with that boat and how how field repairable some of these systems that are, are being offered to you are in actuality so that's prevention let's see anything else for prevention so we've got our our mainsail our spinnakers uh you know spinnakers again uh we talked a little bit about banding spinnakers i think a banding a spinnaker is a great idea especially for an old you know a larger boat you might want to do it Uh, i mean i've to be to be perfectly honest on the race boats that i've raced on i've never banded a spinnaker once but there were times when i thought to myself You know, we're we're hoisting this thing in heavy air. We could have used that little extra bit of uh, safety for the spinnaker itself, not for us, but when things are whipping, we we could have used it. So yeah, banding the spinnakers, so having that system available to band them, or again, the 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 newer Velcro type tabs. I think there's a couple different systems out there actually how to do that. Some boats will have are starting to have takedown lines now for their spinnakers, which kind of helps them collapse a little bit more evenly. Takes a little bit. Of the work out of dropping a spinnaker down. So again, yeah, there's talk to your sailmaker. The sailmaker will know how to make your life easier offshore and make sure that you have a robust gear that's built for offshore. And that's the other thing too, if you're going offshore and you have a brand new Hunter or Catalina with the stock sales, guess what? Those sales are not built for offshore. Those sails are built for the lowest dollar amount possible. And, you know, the stitching is the minimal, the additional strength in the corners is the smallest they can get away with. The clue rings are the smallest they can get away with. So, you know, look, a look to construction of what your sails actually are. And again, your sailmaker will tell you that. So really prevention, it should be almost one or two things. Talk to your sailmaker, talk to your sailmaker, check out your systems, make sure everything works before you get offshore. So that's prevention. So as I check the time on the clock here, looks like we're peeking out at about 30 minutes for this podcast. We want to keep these to a relatively short length so that you can listen to them in your car or in your spare minutes, uh, maybe at the gym. So we're going to wrap this one up. We will finish off mitigation of sail damage in the next podcast. We're going to cover a couple more of the top 10 common failures offshore that will ruin your day. This is probably going to be broken into about three, I'm thinking even maybe four different podcasts just to keep these things manageable. Again, this is Brian Marone from Chesapeake Gulf Shore Sailing Services, helping you win the race to the starting line. That's it. Thanks a lot for coming, and have a great day. on the boat well training training is key here all the maneuvers that you're going to do on the boat you know they're the reason why time on the boat is key you are going to have to have jibed your spinnaker in heavy air many times before you go offshore because you need to know how to do it you need to know wherever you're supposed to be who's pulling what line what hand goes where driving the main as well you know, driving the main and the spinnaker the jibes are are Jibes are a maneuver where the full brunt of the elements can can do a lot of damage to a boat if things aren't taken care of in a smooth and controlled manner. Uh, accidental jibe, you know, the worst form of jibing the boat. You know, you'll you'll blow you'll blow battens, you'll break battens. You know, a broken batten that hasn't been noticed and has been in your sail for a while can pop a nice hole through the sail. If allowed to chafe for any length of time, a accidental jibe or just a hard jibe or you know a bad jibe and whatever you want to call it, real easy way to break slides on the mainsail. Uh, a broken slide is never a fun thing. You got to take the whole thing down and reattach a new slide because you know those little plastic ones they use, they're not really made for that load. You know, tensioning your halyard enough, right? Well, uh, heard people say, oh, you know my, my, my slides are always breaking. Why are my slides always breaking? And you know, there's, and there's more than one reason why that can happen but in some instances these people are not tensioning their halyards the slides are not meant to take all the backward force off off the sail you know you need a nice tight halyard for the most part because uh, that halyard and that uh that luff rope will take some of the tension as well so yeah broken slides and a bad a bad jibe can rip track right off the mast it's happened in several instances so yeah what do you do when you've ripped the the track for the mainsail off the boat you're gonna have somebody up there who's gonna re-drill and reattach a twisted bit of metal that your main goes up on that's a pretty tough repair to make are you gonna sail around with lots of extra mainsail track under your bunk of course you're not nobody nobody does that so training your crew to do these maneuvers in a safe manner and that means the skipper as well. The skipper's gotta know what he's doing uh, and the driver. You know, if you're in heavy winds, you need to have the best people on deck and working that job. You know, don't, don't let the B team job your boat when it's 30 knots and big waves. You know, you want your best driver on there. You want somebody who can ease everybody through the maneuver. You want your pit guy to be on it. You want two people on the, the new sheet to haul that spinnaker around. In in heavy air, uh, you know. A, again, it's to a certain extent is boat specific, but there are commonalities here that every boat is going to need. And that practice comes before you leave the dock for the big race. You know that practice happens in the bay. Maybe you've done a couple of events before your big event. You know you want to do a Del Marva race, uh, some other night distance races, things like that. Practicing at night is a good idea. And people on the boat that have done these kind of races before. Uh, and can help others uh, is also important so generally speaking training for maneuvers is the on the boat prevention for for damage to sails Um, and so we get into the final aspect of it which is mitigating the problem once uh, you've broken your thing so quickly repairing sails offshore is not impossible it's actually easier than ever there's some products out there that are making a repair of both dacron and laminate sails a lot easier you know for a while there folks were using uh, the ubiquitous marine adhesive sealant 5200 from 3m the much hated 5200 gets everywhere gets on every article of clothing uh you've ever loved and it sticks like a mother and so yeah the volvo ocean race boats have glued sails together with 5200 it's happened before but it's messy, It's you would get the fast cure, not the slow cure, um, but there's a much better alternative out in, in the market now. Uh, a lot of people haven't heard about it yet, uh, which amazes me because it is so versatile and really it should be in everybody's offshore kits. Dr. Sales is the name of the product. We we carry it from time to time and before races we might get a little bit of a stocking, so we do a seminar. and maybe sell some Dr. Sales to folks just so they have it. But Dr. Sales is an epoxy. It basically comes in a syringe, one of those uh, self-mixing syringes. So you've got two two different, uh, you've got a, a syringe with two different sides, just like you know your five minute epoxy you might buy at Home Depot. Uh, there's a tip on it that will mix it um, for you. So you don't have to like squirt it onto a piece of cardboard and, and mix it like the old days. And that Dr. Sales will glue together anything laminate sails dacron sails it's a flexible epoxy it dries very quickly it can glue wet sails i mean you don't want to be soaking wet if you can avoid it but a damp sail is uh certainly something you can glue together and even spinnakers right you blow up a spinnaker well blowing up spinnakers kind of happens a lot offshore. and sometimes you don't have a lot of spinnakers you know you're you blow off one because you push the boat hard then you blow up the next one, and I think you get to that uncomfortable position where you're down to your last spinnaker, and the weather is blowing stink. And you know you thought you were being pretty kind to the last two, but you know you're thr- you thrashing the spinnakers, and the thing is doing its damnedest to stay together. But that's the point where you start looking at the the shredded remains of the other two and thinking, geez, maybe we should start putting one of these things back together, or, or see if we can and traditionally you're not going to smear a bunch of 5200 on spinnaker i mean could you imagine a bigger stickier ball of nonsense absolutely not you can't really stitch together skin spinnaker cloth you know you start punching holes in it it's just like creating uh, you know a tear here um but with this dr sale stuff if you can get some spinnaker material and uh a little tube of that, Doctor Sales. Actually, you might want a few tubes of Doctor Sales if you really wanted to glue a spinnaker back together. You, you, you'd want a few tubes of it, um, but it is possible. Where you know before that that repair was sort of the domain of somebody down below with a sewing machine. And I, if you're listening to this podcast, you are probably not the kind of sailor who has somebody on board who is capable of running a sail right machine down below in a pitching boat while you're going 30 knots or where you're while your uh your wind is blowing 30 knots so this stuff is a very good resource and it's worth getting some and just throwing it in the boat and if you never need it great but if you do need it i think it's you know you're talking about maybe 25 bucks a tube for a small tube and uh i've used it i've glued together mainsails with it and it works and it is strong um, so yeah, Dr. Sales is a great way to help repair all things destroyed. So, yeah, Dr. Sales in terms of battens, which will break a lot. Uh, a nice little trick for carrying spares is you can often take spare battens and put them inside of the boom on your boat. Uh, you know, obviously, if you've got a, a big, bigger mainsail, most mainsails now they're, they're getting fairly large, and many battens, you know, I would say most. Most sails that are being built now have at least two full battens on them. So yeah, you can, you can generally fit a full batten inside, boom. And, you know, you should have a stack of spares down below for the smaller ones. Uh, yeah. And those, those will break. I mean, hopefully they don't, but they will. So yeah, let's see. Repairing the main, the spinnaker, the jib, all the same. Basically use your doctor sails, have some spare insignia cloth, have sail repair tape, Word to the wise, the kind of the sail repair tape that you buy from West Marine, this is just kind of a Dacron sticky back stuff. It's pretty terrible. You'll want to have regular sail repair tape in addition to this Dr. Sales stuff. You don't want to just walk around with Dr. Sales because, you know, if you have a small hole, you're not going to need that. You know, may not need to go to that extent. But go to your sale maker and get the, get the sticky back tape that they use. It's got much better adhesive qualities than the garbage that you're going to buy at a West Marine or... Defender or faucets are down the road. It's just far far better and that they'll sell to you But yeah other than that there's there's really not much else in terms of jury rigging the boat You know if you've got some sail repair material obviously some sail needles and some different weights of thread and maybe even if you wanted to get a little crazy Could have a spare clue ring. I like I like to have a couple uh, spare bits of equipment and one thing that will help you a lot, like if you pull the clue ring out of, a, of a, a mainsail, for instance, that's, you know, that's something that will happen from time to time. Get yourself some Dyneema webbing. Dyneema webbing can repair a multitude of sins. You can reattach the clue ring pretty easily with that. Um, and for those type of repairs, you're gonna want a hand-all, a um, sailmaker's all And with that sailmaker's all basically, you put that on a you know piece of plywood or uh, the underside of a cabin sole board and you basically punch through the holes in that very thick material at the clue of the sail, right because you've got so many layers there, it's just as thick as a you know eight inch piece of plywood practically. and you know you're not stitching through that. even if you've got your sailmaker's palm, it's way easier to take that uh, sailmaker's all, which is just basically a, a sharp tooth, uh, almost like an ice pick, like a narrow ice pick and you just hammer it and you punch the holes through the sail ma- sail material and then you can thread your your needles through so yeah between a sailmaker's awl, all a palm you know some pre-wax twine and maybe a spare clue and, and a bunch of webbing straps you can fix most anything even the most serious stuff so that is sales so let's see what was next on our list electronics i believe yeah electronics is a broad broad topic and Again, I think I'm going to probably wrap this one up with electronics because this is getting pretty long as it is. Offshore, without fail, something's always not going to work the way you think it's going to work, whether that's the autopilot or your GPS. GPS are pretty robust, actually, at this point. But your you know, GRIB downloader, your your weather routing software, uh, your VHF radio, your SS- SSB, if you still have one. God, I don't think many people are running SSB anymore. Um, but your your satcoms your you know your your go free and your garmin text messenger all these kind of things that you have to, to either get yourself information for navigating the boat or for communicating back home and and to uh, to the world and one way or the other something's always going to go wrong a lot of that is down to and in many races it's the weather routing software. A lot of a lot of the failures we see are operator errors. So we couldn't get this thing to talk to that thing and because this thing can't talk to that thing we can't download the other thing. And you know, you need weather information to be up to date. You need your components to talk to each other and you want it all to work beautifully. So the navigator's job is Probably the toughest job on the boat. I'd say it's almost definitely the toughest job on the boat. They're up at all hours. They're responsible for all the uh, all the, all the decisions. Well, the, the skipper is ultimately responsible for decisions, but they're giving you, everyone advice on where to steer, how to steer, what angles, etc. Pretty impossible to be right <laughs> uh, when you're the navigator. And they've also got all this weight on them. To get all the things to talk to each other it's a thankless job i i'm never the navigator for just that reason i like to sleep and i like to drive the boat and have fun uh sorry navigators but the reality is that if the navigator's been given this job by the skipper and that's quite often you know for non professional campaigns how this happens is you know you've got this guy and he says yeah i've got a little bit of experience navigating okay boom you're the navigator here is Expedition, expedition. if you don't know, is uh, basically uh, top of the top-of-the-line race routing software, and it also brings in weather files and gives you predicted best course for the best speed to your, your destination. And it's it's a bear. The, the, the program itself costs over $1,000, and it is what's used on the Volvo Ocean Race and every other major offshore race, and it is got so much capability and if someone is told they're going to be the navigator 3 months before the race it's almost not enough time to to get your mind around all this equipment can do and at a very bare minimum you just need to be able to get everything talked to each other and feed into it and i've seen time and again that that's just not been an easy thing to do and that goes down to un- not understanding what the equipment can do uh having inadequate hardware so you know the laptop that you're using is not a great laptop it's an old laptop it always worked great before yada 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 to hey we forgot the cable you know we don't have the cable to connect this to that or ooh that cable turns out is uh really ragged at the end and you know the connection's kind of spotty and you know that sort of thing a lot of times people will install uh these systems right before the race right this is the big race they've put a lot of time and effort and energy into them and so they've installed all this new equipment but nobody really knows how to run the equipment and it's a learning on the job kind of thing um so those are one of the major issues Uh, the second issue that can happen a little bit less common but it does happen water intrusion issues you know, nowadays most of the equipment that you'll buy for a boat uh, has a certain level of waterproof, um, certain level of waterproofness, waterproofability. I don't know. It's it's the stuff's waterproof, so you shouldn't get too much problem there. But again, it does happen. Things stop working. Your masthead, you know, will not no longer be registering the appropriate angles for wind. You know, you'll not be able to get apparent wind anymore. You'll be able to get apparent wind, but you won't be calculating true, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and these are things that happen every time to many different boats, and, you know, how do you deal with it? Well, from the prevention standpoint, you, at the dock, make sure your equipment is running. You take the boat out, and you run it through spaces over and over again, to find the weaknesses and you upgrade and you take your navigator out and you give your nav you know, you give your navigator a key to your boat and say, just go on the boat as often as you can and, and work with this stuff. Um, and give them the laptop to bring home to play with and you know, hopefully that will get them to a decent point where they can give you information that's gonna be useful to you in the race rather than, you know, I think Maybe we should just go this way, you know, that's, that, that happens more often than people would like to admit in their race. You know, somebody spends a lot of money on equipment and then it comes down to a guess because during the race, nothing was talking to each other and they're, they're racing their race based on, you know, information that's four days old and, and that's just not a good place, especially when, and again, I hate to go back to money, but the cost to campaign a boat is so high and the commitment in hours of your life to get a boat ready to race is so high and and this is my personal opinion I don't want to be in a race that I don't think I can win all that is so high that you you owe it to yourself and your crew your crew isn't necessarily there just for a pleasure cruise I mean maybe they are to a certain extent but I guarantee you at least half your guys that are coming out and doing ocean racing with you, they're there to win. And if you kind of, eh, eh, well, it'll be all right. She'll be right, mate. You know what? You're doing your crew a disservice. And one of the hardest things in sailing now is keeping crew, right? You know, you put a lot of time and money into your boat, and uh, you get some guys around, and, you know, they skate. They do a couple of races, with you, and off they go. You know, why'd they leave? Oh, was it me? Was it my breath? Well, maybe it was that your boat wasn't prepared to win. And especially these young guys, guys with ambitions, they need to be on boats that win. If they're going to move anywhere in their career, they need to be on the boat that wins the race. And if that's not you, well, then the quality of your crew is going to go down and down. And your likelihood of winning these races is going to go down and down. And, And that can be okay. If you personally feel that you're just out there to have a good time with your family, that can be great. But again, that's that's not my approach. Uh, I'd prefer to win. So, prevention, prevention, prevention. Your boat should be waterproof to the extent possible. You know. Nav tables are often down below the the companionway hatch. Water will splash down below, et cetera. Uh, I am not going to tell you to go out and put a Dodger on your boat. I'm not a big fan of Dodgers on race boats for a cruising boat makes perfect sense sailed all halfway around the world with a dodger to keep the rain off my head and keep everything comfortable but on a race boat with the maneuvers you're doing doesn't make sense uh to me anyway people will argue that and that's fine we can all disagree on things i'm perfectly happy to disagree with, with folks but again your stuff should be protected enough you know the laptop that you use fairly um fairly good chance you're going to be using a laptop if not a tablet i think the tablets are for me the tablets are still a little bit more difficult to use i'd rather use a a old old school like a tough book i like tough books you know like you can drop them you can get them wet you can do anything in the world to them Uh, i have a tough book and a a tough pad the tough pad runs all the software that the tough book can can run um but for me i just like the tough pad better i like the keyboard i like the compactness of it, I, you know, the touchscreen is okay, but I prefer to have the laptop. But again, that's perf- personal preference. Uh, the tough pad that I use is the FCG one. That's that was the gold standard for offshore for a good while. Uh, I know the Volvo boats were using those. They would use. They have a pretty sophisticated setup where they would use a, a main computer down below and then use those uh, FCG ones as repeaters. Um, up on deck Uh, but again, how much money do you want to spend it's up to you right, so that's prevention underway uh, again, you know for electronics, prevention is almost everything underway what can you do to avoid failures I don't know Don't don't take a bucket of water down the companionway hatch you know that's pretty much it Know what you're doing, have your backups as need be. I mean, obviously, if you're on a boat that's sailing in the ocean, you're going to have, uh, you know, a few backup GPS units. The GPS units are all pretty robust at this point. You get a waterproof Garmin GPS 76 for like 150 bucks. You know, your crew will probably come on the boat and they'll probably all have their own handheld GPS too stashed in their bag. Um, so yeah, onboard prevention, uh, onboard training for electronics is not necessarily such a big deal. In a weird way the training uh, if you have an at-helm um, chart plotter something like that it's almost better to not let people monkey with it too much you know keep it on the screen that you want the chart plotter to be on. people can do what they can do within that screen but just ask them not to change your settings or you know mess with things too much And Jerry Riggs. Are you an electrical engineer? I'm not. I have had situations where, for instance, I had an autopilot go down, and to a certain extent, there are types of electronics that are things you can work on. Nowadays, it's far less likely. Everything's on a chip. I had an old school... um, It was a Raytheon autopilot of... You know, from probably the '90s, and I had a brand new one, and I had an old one, and the brand new one was new to me. By you know, it had been shipped to me in Panama. Installed it, shiny new, beautiful, and um, turned, plugged it in. Within a day, it was glitchy, wasn't working, and it was all solid-state electronics. Couldn't do anything with it. Um, Pulled out the old one. The old one wasn't working either pulled apart the old one and it looked like something at a radio shack you know you're talking about individual wires and things and the reason that one wasn't working was that at some point the wire had been pulled a little bit too hard and one of the solder connections just wasn't connected anymore or was connected uh, intermittently just got out the soldering gun soldered it up off you go that is a rare type of occurrence nine times out of ten if you have an electronic device that is not functioning Unless you can fix it with the old turn it off, wait five minutes and turn it on again, you're probably not going to have that bit of equipment. So really, uh, prevention is key here. Have backup systems to the extent that you need them. And, uh, you know, just learn how to use the gear before you get out there. So I think that's going to be it. This is a fairly long uh, podcast and there's a lot more territory to cover. Uh, We haven't really gotten, to me, we haven't really gotten into the really exciting and fun ones, which are coming in the next two podcasts. But thanks very much for listening. And again, if you have any feedback or any specific questions about anything we talked about today, let us know. It's www.chesapeakeoffshoresailingservices.com. Uh, my name is Brian. Feel free to... There's a link on there where you can email me. There, we also have some forums that we set up within the website. If you have any questions you want to put out to a forum, we'll, we'll answer it in that in that venue as well. Or you can email us direct and we'll, we'll do our best to get in touch with you and give you an opinion or a bit of advice or point you in the right direction of an expert that could help you. Because it's a small world out here in the sailing community. And if we aren't the best ones to serve you, uh, we certainly know the people who are. All right. Again, that's it. That's it from us. Chesapeake Offshore Sailing Services, helping you win the race to the starting line. Have a great night.